All right, welcome to the Remarketing Podcast. My name is Jerome Lewis. I am your host for today. The Remarketing Podcast is a podcast where we talk marketing, tech, business, and leadership. We talk these things for real estate agents, investors, and entrepreneurs. The Remarketing Podcast has two purposes. Purpose number one, to spotlight you, your business, or your, your service, or your product in a way that provides value to you, Tony, including market exposure and content creation. Number two, to educate and inform form our audience and listeners with that we have a special guest i want to read off his intro and i'm excited about this because man uh it's a good topic and we should all be implementing this into our business so tony watson personally manages clients with over 350 million dollars in real estate holdings he has spoken for hundreds of trade organizations throughout the state of california Holding a federal license as an enrolled agent tax practitioner, Tony can advise, represent, and prepare tax returns for individuals, partnerships, corporations, and any other entity with tax reporting requirements. Aside from his full-time position at Robert Hall & Associates, Tony is an active real estate investor, entrepreneur, and enjoys short and long-term trading. With over a decade of decade and a half of experience, Tony, along his Tony, along his team at Robert Halls and Associates, actively look for the newest and most up-to-date strategies to implement on client tax filings. They all operate with the same goal in mind to help taxpayers keep more of their wealth and not overspend what the federal and state revenue with the federal and state revenue agencies. Tony, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much, Trump, for having me. I really appreciate it. Enjoy being here as well. Absolutely. Thank you. So what we're going to do is we have a little bit of a different format. We typically do like a Q&A, but sometimes people come through and they have like a presentation that will bring more value to our clients, right? Or our listeners. So what we're going to do is you have a presentation, you're going to share that presentation and we're going to talk through some of the main things in that presentation. I have uh, just a list of the questions that you kind of went over. And just so our audience knows what Tony will be talking about today is entity selection, incorporating, paying yourself a reasonable salary, how you can get back, how you, can I get my rent back, how you can get rent back, incorporating in a different state, does it save money, and the difference between the structures we talked about, LLC, trust, insurance, etc. So Tony, the floor is yours. Please share your presentation and share with us. And as you're going, if there are questions that I feel relevant to the audience, I'll try to interject and see if you can expound upon that. Perfect, perfect. Just want to make sure that you can see my screen and maybe select yes. in front of you. Yeah, perfect. Yes. Um, so once again, thanks again, Jerome, for, for having me. Uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, not only as a real estate investor, but also uh, a self-employed individual. I mean, my W-2 job here at Robert Hall is tax preparation, but uh, I have a couple side businesses, a couple of real estate developments and investments. Um, but so the entity selection topic itself is something that I first learned 18 years ago when I first started working for Robert Hall & Associates. It's been one of the most popular topics to discuss. Uh, especially over the past two and a half years. Uh, entity selection and asset protection and some of the tax benefits of corporate America have become kind of the, the uh, focal point uh, for a lot of investors and small business owners just to figure out creative ways to protect themselves and their assets separately from each other, as well as uh, take advantage of a little bit of what corporate America has been taking advantage of for God knows how long now. Um, there are a number of reasons why you should open up this conversation with your tax advisor. Uh, number one benefit of incorporating is going to be asset protection. And the way that you achieve this uh, through entity selection is by actually incorporating your business or your real estate investment under its own identity 
identification number. Uh, one thing that you and I have in common, our tax returns will look nothing alike. Uh, you know, even if you're you're kind of the same self-employed, working in the same self-employed industry as somebody, your tax returns will look nothing alike. You might have the same revenue stream, but you know, there are other things, child tax credits, implementation of QBI deductions, things like that, that will make them different. But one thing that you and I have in common is an identification number. That's our social security number. And so the most unique thing about incorporating is that when you start an LLC, or a C-Corp or an S-Corporation, the government assigns your business or your real estate investment its own identification number called an FEIN, Federal Employer Identification Number, which is somewhat like a social security number, but for your business, which is pretty cool. So now that you've got this business started up and you're opening up the conversation of asset protection and tax savings, and you figure, well, my business is starting to generate enough revenue. I want to protect it separately from all of my personal liabilities, uh, uh, risks and liabilities. You go ahead and incorporate and the government assigns your, let's say, online Amazon sales business, its own identification number to the name of your LLC. So, you know, Tony Watson Wholesalers LLC now has its own identification number and files its own tax return separate from your personal tax return and your social security number. So the number one benefit of incorporating is asset separation, which equals asset protection. Now, there are a lot of options when incorporating, you know, which entity is going to be right for you? Is the LLC the right, right direction to go? Is the C-Corp the right direction to go? What the heck is the S-Corporation? The most commonly used entity is the LLC. Uh, LLC stands for Limited Liability Company, and it is an entity that is used mainly and solely actually to protect large assets like real estate investments. It does exactly what its name entails. It limits liability and separates that liability or level of liability and risk from everything that you carry personally, risk and liability wise. Uh, LLCs, just, just as a quick note here, LLCs will not save you any income tax. They are only for liability protection. So when you are having this idea or opening up these conversations with your own advisors uh, and you know the conversation of tax savings comes into play, just understand that the LLC is only going to protect your assets separately from your personal liabilities and risks, not give you any greater tax benefit. Um, the C Corp and the S corporations play different games uh, under the entity structuring uh, world, so to speak. Uh, the C corporation is mainly for large corporations like the Ebays, the Starbucks, the Amazons, the Googles of the world. Uh, C corporations in the tax industry are known as double taxed entities where you not only pay corporate tax on whatever your profit is through the business, but then whatever you pay yourself individually, you also pay tax on. Most corporations that are publicly traded like eBay or Amazon or Google, they're required to be C corporations because they have over 100 shareholders and they have tens of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars in revenue. So C corporations probably aren't the right entity for you. But if you're looking to achieve both the asset protection benefit as well as a potential tax savings benefit, the subchapter S corporation might be the right route for you. Uh, S corporations actually get to play a game called the reasonable salary requirement game which allow you to pay yourself a portion of your profit, which then would be subject to social security and Medicare and some other taxes that you'll pay on that. And then the remaining profit under the S corporation would properly avoid certain taxes. You're gonna pay federal and state income tax on all of the profit, no matter what, no matter how you split the profit and the payroll, but you will avoid certain payroll taxes on the split of revenue under an S corporation. I know a lot of information flying over everybody's heads and, and it is a confusing topic. It's a whole other language of the financial world, but I'm gonna break it down for you in the upcoming slides. 
But I wanna make sure that everybody understands that incorporating is not right for everyone, okay? Even though we're showing you this slide here today, the LLC, the C Corp, the S Corp, and a lot of the information sounds great and it could apply to you specifically, you still need to have this conversation with your tax advisor because the number one question I get a lot of times is, is incorporating right for me? Is it the right time? Am I making enough consistent net revenue through my business to warrant the additional cost of incorporating? Industry average to file a corporation per year uh, with California filing fees, with the tax return filing fees, with the payroll processing fees, you're looking at 1500 to two grand minimum per year to file as an incorporated entity on average. So we also have to make sure that financially it makes sense for you. Is it going to save you more than it's costing you on an annual basis? And then obviously we'll open up the conversation. Okay, well, if you're hitting those consistent milestones and the net revenue is at that level to make sense, to push that client in the direction of incorporating, then yeah, let's open up that conversation, figure out how much it's gonna save you. And if it's gonna save you five, 10, 15, 20 plus grand in tax, sure, it warrants the cost of about two grand to file as a corporation on a year to year basis. But where does the so magic quick, start under- Quick question. Sure. I, so I've heard this is the first time I've hearing this. I always hear like, you know, I've been in real estate for a while. I always hear people say, go create the LLC, go incorporate. And you said incorporating is not right for everybody. This is the first time that I said that. Uh, is there more? Is there a way that you can expound upon that on why it's not ideal for everyone? Absolutely. So it, let, let's say that you are new to real estate. You haven't actually made your first purchase yet. Uh, and I'm not talking about a primary residence. I'm not talking about the home that you live in. If you own that, that should go only into a living trust, if anything. Your primary residence does not belong in an LLC. It only belongs in a, in a trust of some sort. Now, when you have an investment property, like a rental investment, uh, you want that under an LLC uh, and, and mainly an LLC for asset protection and protection on the large asset. Uh, but if you haven't purchased your first property, if you haven't even found something yet, why would you incorporate yourself in, in, under an LLC and have all the miscellaneous filing fees and whatnot if you haven't even acquired the property yet, right? So there's, once again, it's not right for everyone. And what I specifically mean by that is it, there is, there's a right and a wrong time to incorporate, right? People okay. tend to jump the gun. They lock themselves into, you know, the $800 annual filing fee with the state of California. They lock themselves in now with a filing fee with a tax preparer. So all of a sudden you've got all of these extra filing fees per year and you haven't even closed on your first property, right? Now, if you've already acquired three or four properties and you've never actually had the conversation of incorporating for the asset protection benefit, that's still a great time to talk with your accountant or your legal advisor about whether or not this makes sense for you. Let's say that you have paid off properties, two or three properties already acquired, they're paid off, they're cash flowing like crazy. Absolutely, you should be quit claiming those deeds into an entity structure such as an LLC to protect those dividend paying investments. So what I meant by, you know, it's not right for everyone, it's more so it's not the right time for people to incorporate unless they, they check those boxes off. You know, if you've got something very helpful, the pipeline, they've got the financing lined up, then yes, let's get that LLC started so that when they close on the property, it closes under the name of the LLC. Very helpful. Thank you. Absolutely. So, you know, once again, the LLC is great for protecting large assets, but it's not going to save you anything tax wise. Now, if you're a self-employed property flipper or a realtor earning commission income, you may have noticed in past years or maybe just, just recently in the current past tax year that you've had to pay a couple different types of taxes on your self-employed revenue. You pay federal government income tax, you pay state income tax, and then you pay this nasty 15.3% of social security and Medicare tax. 
Now, the, at the end of the day, you're thinking, well, I, you know, I, I paid all of this tax. What's the point of working so hard if, you know, 40% of my income gets paid in some sort of income tax? Trust me, I feel your pain. That That is a, a very common feeling to feel, especially if you're not incorporated. You don't, you know, this is the first year you've made all of this revenue. And all of a sudden you're having to cut big checks to the government in the state of California. If you are hitting certain milestones and then those milestones are sitting at about forty-five dollars to $50,000 in self-employed net profit, that means after you've deducted all of your expenses, you're sitting at about forty-five dollars to fifty dollars of profit at the end of the year. Uh, you should be having the conversation of incorporating with your accountant because at about forty-five dollars to $50,000 in net profit, the game changes completely. If you stay as a sole proprietorship, non-incorporated individual, and you're making forty-five to fifty grand, you're going to be leaving a lot of money on the table, more money paid in tax than what it would cost you to utilize an entity structure to help you reduce some of that liability. And the magic happens under an S corporation for the self-employed individual. S corporations actually are no longer self-employed individuals. They are individuals who are working for their own corporation. And individuals who work for corporations, they receive W-2s. So let, let's use an example. Let's say that you're a realtor. You, you've made, you know, 100 grand in commission income. You've got 25 grand in overhead. You know, so you're down around $75,000 in net profit. Uh, you're above that forty-five dollars to $50,000 threshold that we're looking, the milestone that we're looking to, to be above. Um, you know, as a sole proprietor, you pay federal, state, and self-employment tax, Social Security and Medicare tax, on the full 75 grand. But as a, a, an S corporation, you actually don't pay all of that tax on the full 75 grand. You get to take that $75,000 and figure out what a reasonable salary or a reasonable compensation would be for you now as the employee of your own corporation. And this is once again where the magic happens. So I'm gonna use a different number for calculation purposes because it's easier to calculate off of a round number, not 75 grand. But let's say, just assume that your company is making about 100 grand in profit. You get to pay yourself a reasonable salary of as low as 35 to 40% of your net revenue. Let's assume in this case that it's 40%. 40% of 100 grand is $40,000. That's your W-2 that you've now paid yourself as an employee of your own corporation. So what happens to the rest of the profit, right? 100 grand minus your $40,000 W-2 leaves your company with a $60,000 leftover company profit, flow through profit. So 100 grand minus 40 grand gives you 60 grand. Now, why would you want to do this? Why would you want to jump through all these hoops to incorporate yourself? You got to file extra tax returns. You got to run payroll. Well, if you're making this kind of net revenue and you don't incorporate yourself, you could be paying close to six plus thousand dollars more in tax minimum on your bottom line net profit. Because what you've done in this scenario where you've taken your 100 grand and you've split it into these two revenue streams, $40,000 W-2, $60,000 company profit, is you've just properly avoided paying certain types of tax, not evaded, right? Tax evasion is illegal, tax avoidance is not. So what you've done here is you've properly avoided paying social security and Medicare tax on $60,000. See, on the $40,000 that you paid yourself, you pay federal tax, state income tax, you pay payroll taxes, so Social Security, Medicare, state disability, unemployment insurance, all on the 40 grand. But on the 60 grand, you're only paying federal and state income tax, not Social Security, Medicare, state disability, unemployment insurance, which total is 15.3%. 
Well, shoot, what's 15.3% of 60 grand? That is a total tax savings in this scenario of $9,180 in tax avoided on 60 grand of flow through profit. That is the benefit of a subchapter S corporation is the ability to split your net revenue into these two different revenue streams, one being subject to all of the payroll taxes, the other not being subject to those payroll taxes. I did dial it into a little bit easier kind of calculation here for you to see. Uh, I like the chalkboard effect because it feels like we're back in school. Uh, But the left-hand column, if you stay as a sole proprietor or even an LLC, remember LLC save you nothing in tax. They pay actually the same tax rates as a sole proprietor. So if you look at the left-hand column here at the 25% federal tax rate, 9.3% state plus 15.3%, of self-employment tax, once again, add all of that up, you're thinking, why am I working so hard to obtain a hundred grand in net profit if I'm paying all of this money back to the government and the state agencies, right? But if you flip yourself to a subchapter S corporation, follow the right-hand column, nothing really changes for federal and state income tax purposes because it doesn't matter how you split the hundred grand when you add the W-2 and the flow through profit back up, it's gonna add up to a hundred grand. But look at what happens to your self-employment tax. In the left-hand column, you're paying 15,300 bucks. And as a subchapter S corporation, you're only paying $6,100. So you're dropping overall your self-employed tax liabilities by 9,180 bucks. That milestone of 45 to 50 grand in net profit, we're cutting it in half in this case. At the very bottom, even at $50,000 of net profit yielded, you're still saving $4,590 in overall tax. I mentioned earlier, it costs about two grand to file on a year to year basis. So you're saving almost double what it's costing you at only $50,000 of net profit. This is not something I'm expecting everybody to just take home with them with them today, you know, or whenever you're watching this webinar and say, hey, listen, I need to go out and incorporate myself because it's going to save me X amount. I'm just trying to wet the palate, so to speak. You need to have this conversation with your tax advisor, figure out if it makes sense for you. If the numbers make sense, if you've hit those consistent milestones in your business, and then maybe it is the right time for you to incorporate, but it is not going to be the right time for everyone. But this is an important calculation for your accountant to make for you. Awesome. Tony, this has been like amazing already. And you're like, talk to your tax um, advisor. So my question to you is how can like, how can we get in touch with you? If we are like, this is a great information. How can we get in touch with you right now? I know you probably have some slides towards the end, but what is the best way to get in touch with you? If somebody's like, you know what? I'm sold. I'm ready to get in touch with these guys, their company. How can I do that? Well, we live in the 21st century, so I have a couple options of how to connect with us. One, it could be the old school way of just calling our office, uh, 818-242-4888, or you can check us out online, roberthalltaxes.com, has all of our connect uh, connecting information there. Um, or you can text uh, the the no, to the number 72,000. So you, you open up your text box, you type in 72000, and you text the word Robert Hall to the number 72,000. That'll automatically prompt you to sign up for a free consultation. We offer free 30-minute in-person or over-the-phone consultations. Um, you can email me directly at Watson at roberthalltaxes.com, and then I can kind of put you in the pipeline and get you all set up with a free consultation as well. So there's a couple of ways to connect with us. You don't have to do it now uh you could do it next year you know if you have a great relationship with your account but you feel like i'm hitting a lot of key key notes here for you as a as a growing business owner uh you know and you're you're starting to really gain traction in in your own you know financial world and business world uh maybe next year you want to hop on board with us so you don't have to you know sign up for the free consultation and become a client of ours utilize the free consultation and then become a client of ours four or five years from now It, it doesn't matter to us 
but utilize the free consultation. This is 30 minutes in person or over the phone with a licensed tax advisor, kind of going over everything specifically fine tuned for your scenario. Okay. Yeah. And the thing I really appreciate is how, how much you understand real estate. So thank you. Appreciate that. Very much real estate. I mean, out of the 1200 tax returns that I personally do, I'd say that 85% of those files are real estate filings in some way, shape or form, real estate syndications, exchange format uh, filings, uh, Schedule E, just rental property portfolios, uh, property flippers, wholesalers, realtors who are selling property for commission income. Uh, I, I specifically, along with our other senior preparers here, we're very much a real estate focused tax firm. We do all tax returns, obviously, but we're very small business and real estate specific and focused. Um, awesome. I did want to just show something really quickly about the QBI deduction for the real estate investors, as well as the small business owners. Make sure, this, this is dating back to 2018 now, uh, make sure that you have been qualifying for something called QBI on your return. QBI is not a new variant of COVID. Um, it's not a venereal disease or anything. QBI stands for Qualified Business Income, and it is a deduction that you get if you qualify for it. Um, you know, for a single individual, you're going to follow the right side of the column. For a married filing joint, you're going to follow the left side of the column. And so if you make taxable income for your household income, single or, or married filing joint, taxable income under 329800 if you're married filing joint, 164900 if you're single, if you're below that threshold, you qualify for the full QBI deduction, which makes 20% of your self-employed cash flow or profit or 20% of your real estate rental property cash flow tax free. Okay. So as you can imagine, if you're married, finally joined, let's say both you and your spouse are real estate professionals, you've got self-employed real estate commission income coming in. And let's say that your net profit cash flow is 300 grand. Well, the threshold that you need to be below is $329,800. If you're at 300 grand, you're below it. You qualify for the full QBI deduction, which makes $60,000 of your $300,000 of income tax-free. This has been around since 2018. I, I am very surprised at how many clients don't know about QBI. Not my current clients. I make sure I explain it to them, but new clients that onboard with us, how they've never heard of the QBI deduction. So I always make sure to talk about this and express the importance of year-end planning. I mean, shoot, if you're sitting at a number above this threshold, meet with your accountant prior to the end of the year to create uh, a scenario or implement strategies to create, you know, creatively reduce your taxable income below one of the thresholds and qualify for the full 20% tax-free benefit of QBI. Uh, this has been around since 2018. So you know, maybe, maybe you might want to open up 2018, 19 and 20s returns, even 2021 and make sure that your accountant did qualify you for that 20% tax-free benefit. Really, really there, part of the internal revenue code. There's a general, I guess, conception about, uh, the government wants to incentivize people that, um, provide jobs and houses. Would you say that's fair to say, and that this was inspired or has to do with that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, th there could be a number of reasons why they implemented this. I think that, uh, you know, as a tax consultant that has been around in the industry for 18 years, I, I have seen that the true stimulator of the U.S. economy is the real estate industry and the small business okay. world. I mean, sure, we could talk about corporate America and how many jobs, you know, eBay or Amazon or Starbucks creates. But at the end of the day, a majority of the tax revenue that's collected is from middle income households, the realtors of the world, the, the individuals. I mean, let, let me put it this way. 
if you're a realtor or if you're a property flipper, right? Think about how many jobs you're created leading up to just listing and selling the home. And then on the backside, once the deal closes, how many jobs are created on the back end as well? Not even including all of the escrow jobs that are collect or, uh, that are created, right? The courier services, the agents that can pay their commissions, the, the, the mold inspectors, the appraisers. I mean, you're talking about one of the true stimulators of the US economy. So I think that the, the backing behind the QBI deduction was really to create more tax breaks for households that make under one of these two thresholds, number one, so so middle income or lower income households, uh, and giving them 20% of their federal taxable income tax-free, right? So keeping more money in the business owner's pockets, allowing them to cycle that revenue back into the US economy. Uh, that, that's what I see behind it, but who okay. knows? The rhyme and reason of the IRS is something that I'm still trying to figure out 18 years later, you know? Would you would you say that it is so and I don't not trying to get political, but I just want to know your perspective. Like, would you say that uh, we I guess real estate and business owners typically right and in your experience do better under like a Democratic president or a Republican president? Like do you have an insight I mean, on that or is it the same? You know, um, I, I will definitely see with this upcoming bill that's passing the Inflation Reduction Act, which just was talked about on Monday. I know that they were voting okay. on it like 18 hours on Sunday. Uh, you know, historically speaking, uh, a Republican bill, a tax bill or Republican back tax bill has been very pro-business, right? They okay. want corporate America to receive a lot of the tax benefits because in their eyes, they think that corporate America is the true stimulator of the US economy. They create hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs worldwide, right? Uh, which okay. all of those jobs then contribute to social security and Medicare, state disability, unemployment, so on and so forth. Um, however, most of the real estate tax break, um, tax break parts of the internal revenue code they don't really date back just 10, 15 years. I mean, some of the parts of the Internal Revenue Code date back to the early 1900s, like the 1031 exchange part, Section 1031 of the IRC dates back, to, I think, to 1921. Uh, some of the real estate professional tax breaks uh, date back to 1962. So they have stood the test of time under both Democratic and Republican Party presidents. So and, and sure, they're tweaked from, you know, from year to year or, or you know, depending on when the bills pass. But I think that there could be pros and cons under both sides of the political okay. fence or, or on both sides of the political fence. I can tell you right now that the Republican bills are normally pro corporate America. I mean, it tends to just be that push to save, you know, the oil industries, the automotive okay. industries, the individuals who have hundreds of thousands of W-2 wage earners. Okay. The Republican and the Democratic platforms, there is support of self-employed individuals, small businesses on both sides of the political fence. Whether okay. one is greater than the other, I couldn't really tell you, historically speaking, uh, because parts of these codes have been around for a very long time under both Democratic and Republican presidents. Um, but we'll see. I mean, this new tax bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, it is said to be one of the most significant changes to the Internal Revenue Code uh, dating back 35, 40 years, uh, dating and back to the mid 80s when alternative minimum tax was introduced. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Right. We'll have to. We'll and have to do you do you think that's going to end up positive or negative? For, oh, like, how is it looking? I wish that I had a crystal ball that I could tell you the answer to that. But um, 
you know, I, I liked a lot about the 2018 tax reform bill specifically because of QBI, what you're looking at on this. Okay. I love this part of the internal revenue code. I know that the stimulator, at least of the Southern California economy is the business owner. I mean, there's so much business done here in Los Angeles that I can only imagine that this was a huge credit for self-employed realtors, wholesalers, rental property owners, uh, you know, the, the self-employed individuals across the US in fact, but here in Southern California, we have a lot of business owners. Um, I think that the new tax bill will have some unique changes. I'm really hoping to see a change to the salt cap limitation, that $10,000 state and local tax limit, uh, where you're only okay. allowed $10,000 of your prop primary residence property taxes, as well as including your state income tax that you paid in the previous year. Uh, so I'm hoping that bumps up to 80 grand, not 10,000. That was a crazy, crazy change in 2018. Um, I don't think there's going to be anything tweaked with QBI. This is set to, I think, I think sunset in 2025 or 2026. I'll have to, I'll have to dive into more detail about that. I don't believe anything's changing with this. I do not like the fact that they are increasing revenue agents with the IRS. I don't like hearing all of okay. that on the news because wh why would you do that? Why, why would you increase the amount of employment at the IRS when we know for a fact that statistically speaking, they audit uh, you know, lower and middle income households more than they audit upper income households, right? It just doesn't make sense statistically speaking. If they really want to generate more revenue, they shouldn't be biased to any one bracket. They should just increase or decrease the tax brackets uh, for those income thresholds. They should adjust those thresholds in some way, some fashion. Uh, as far as increasing the actual amount of agents on the IRS's staff, uh, I, I don't I don't foresee that as being a good thing. Um, and that's okay. kind of yeah. the point of this Inflation Reduction Act, unfortunately. Yeah. Thank you. That's very helpful. Good, good. So I, I love this QBI deduction. Just make sure and double check on your 18, 19, 20, and 2021 returns. Uh, if you are below one of these two thresholds that you are qualifying for the full QBI deduction, it's definitely a benefit you want to take advantage of. Okay. Um, one major benefit that you get as a self-employed individual is the allocation of in-home office space. Uh, when you are a sole proprietor, a non-incorporated business owner, uh, there's a very simple form that you file with your tax return. It's called the in-home office deduction form. It tends to run probably one of the more higher audit risk rates on all forms on the individual tax return. So a lot of people fear taking it as a write-off because they have heard that it has a higher risk for audit. I'm telling you right now that if your accountant that you work with is telling you not to take it simply because it has a higher risk for audit, seek help elsewhere, okay? There's a whole part of the Internal Revenue Code that states that this is an ordinary, necessary, and legitimate write-off for you as a self-employed individual. So never be afraid of taking the write-off. Just make sure that you understand what the government is looking for in this write-off under audit. It's not the actual form that gets people audited. It's the unreasonable allocation of square footage that gets people audited. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I live in a thousand square foot home and I and my accountant tells me that 25% of my home can be used for office space. Okay, 25% of a thousand square feet, 250 square feet. That's a pretty reasonable sized office space. Great, probably a pretty low risk for audit. But let's say that I, as an accountant, tell my client who lives in Burbank in a 4,000 square foot home that they should be allocating 25% of their space inside of their house for office space. That's a thousand square foot office. That's a massive office space. Even in a corporate building, a thousand square feet for, for a self-employed individual, 
So you have to understand that it's not the form that gets people audited, it's the unreasonable allocation of square footage. A thousand square feet versus 250 square feet, the advice is the same, right? In both scenarios, yes. 25%, but 25% of a 4,000 square foot home is different than 25% of a thousand square foot home. So just make sure that you're being reasonable with the allocation of square footage, but never fear taking this as a write-off. At the end of the day, your accountant should be the one representing you if you are ever audited and representing you for the work that we've done on your tax return. And you're just kind of gathering receipts at that point. You're not going and meeting with the IRS agent. Your enrolled agent or your tax professional is the one representing you in front of the IRS. That is as a sole proprietorship. If you are an incorporated business, like a subchapter S corporation, you no longer file the in-home office form that has that high risk for audit. You actually rent out space inside of your house to your corporation. So you have a contractual agreement with your corporation to say, hey, listen, this 12 by 12 room plus the nearest restroom, which let's call it 200 square feet or 250 square feet. I'm going to rent out that 250 square feet for $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month, whatever the fair market value rental amount would be. And we can help you out, figure that out. You're going to rent that out to your corporation. So now no longer do you file the in-home office form. You file the form Schedule E, which is a rental property form and your corporation cuts you a check either once a month or once a quarter or once every six months or even one check at the end of the year to pay you a full annual year's rent. Let's call it $1,000 a month. So your corporation is gonna cut you a $12,000 check. Your corporation is going to deduct that as office rent. You're going to include it as rental income on your personal return, but now allow that $12,000 rental income to be offset by a portion of your mortgage interest a portion of your property taxes, which if you didn't do this would be subject to that $10,000 cap limit, that salt limit. So you get to allocate a, a portion of your property taxes, portion of your insurance, portion of your utilities. And then you also get to take the value of that square footage building wise and depreciate it against the 12 grand. All of a sudden you've made $12,000 disappear into thin air legitimately. Okay. There's, there's a whole four page part of the internal revenue code that states that you can do this if you are a corporation and you can rent out space inside of your house to your corporation as office space. A really, and, and, really unique part of the Internal Revenue Code. And when you say corporation, that means LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp, the stuff we, well, not C-Corp, that's kind of huge, but. So C-Corp and S-Corp, yes. But if you are a single member LLC, you're not gonna have the rent back of office. Okay. If you take your LLC and you convert the LLC to a C-Corp or an S-Corporation, then yes, you can play that game. But if you just stay as an LLC, LLC, remember, no tax benefit to an LLC. So you would still okay. file the in-home office form that has the higher risk for audit, but you would not have that contractual agreement to rent out your office space to your LLC. It would have to be okay. LLC taxed as a corporation or just straight up S corp or C corporation. And you touched on something that I kind of wanted to ask about earlier is the like converting the LLC to S corp. Could you, I, I know it's individual, like everybody's going to, it's going to be different for everyone, but how is that process? Is it, is it like, long process? Does it take a lot of time? Just want to hear your thoughts on that. You know, as far as processing the paperwork to convert an LLC to a corporation, putting the paperwork together doesn't take very long. For the okay. IRS to process the paperwork, yes, it could take anywhere upwards of six months to process that paperwork. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, they're quoting six to eight months because they're very far behind on processing uh, uh, mail-in applications and and um, uh, conversion paperwork. Uh, but if, let, let's say, let me give you an example. Let's say that you start an LLC and then you come to talk with a tax advisor and we figured that an S corporation would have been a better option for you. Well, don't fear. Don't fear that you've done the wrong thing. That LLC is great. And what we need to take that LLC now and do with it 
is file something called a subchapter S selection form, a 25 form 2553, which is what we know in the tax industry. We file that with the government and for tax purposes only. You, you stay as an LLC for legal purposes, but for tax purposes, now your LLC will be filing its tax return as a subchapter S corporation. And at that point, yes, you can do the whole rent back of the in-home office game that we just discussed. So just because you started off as an LLC doesn't need, mean that you need to stay an LLC. We can actually convert that LLC into a corporate entity like a C corp or an S corp, if need be. Very helpful. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. So that's that's a really really key part of of incorporating. You know, how, how do I how do I pay myself? How do I rent back my in-home office space? What are the benefits of doing that? Some of you might even be thinking, well, you know, I, I heard that California has the highest filing fee in the U.S. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, when you are an LLC, an S corp, or a C corporation, California charges you a minimum $800 filing fee per year, whether you made money, lost money, broke even. You got to pay that parking ticket to the state of California for parking your business in the state of California. So some of you are thinking, well, why don't I incorporate elsewhere in the U.S.? Why don't I incorporate in Delaware or in Massachusetts or in Texas or in Florida? Well, you can incorporate elsewhere in the U.S., but California is a very unique state. California says that if the primary owner of the business is registered to vote in California, drives around a car with California license plates, and has a California address on their driver's license, by definition, they are a California resident. So therefore, you can incorporate elsewhere in the US, but you have to take that entity and file foreign jurisdiction in the state of California and still pay that annual $800 filing fee. So in, in most cases, that is the case. I can't, I don't have enough time today to walk through all of the examples, but if you have questions about incorporating in other states, 98% of that conversation is going to be more for legal benefit, not for tax benefit. If you specifically live here as a resident in the state of California, California taxes its residents on their worldwide income. So they will want to follow you to wherever you are incorporating your business. And if you register to vote, drive around a car with California plates, California address on a driver's license, they're going to say, by definition, you're a California resident. We want a piece of the pie. They're going to hit you with that foreign jurisdiction filing fee. So have this conversation before you just go out and start incorporating in other states, thinking that you're avoiding some sort of liability. Have this conversation with a tax advisor first. Okay. Um, I get this question a lot, by the way. So, and it's not, a lot of people say, you know, I'm going to ask you a dumb question, Tony. I'm telling you right now in the tax industry, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Okay. I know we've heard that in other industries, but I'm not expecting any of our clients to know what we know. This is what we do day in and day out. It's a whole other language. It, you know, when people open up the internal revenue code or read it online, it's like hieroglyphics, right? They, they, they just don't understand a whole lot of it. Unless you come from a finance background or a tax preparation background, you might understand a little bit of it, but it changes so often that you need to work with somebody who keeps up to date with all of the new tax code changes. That's that's very much what we do here. We're an education-based firm. We teach our clients uh, through educational webinars about the benefits of doing certain things, but we don't try to teach them what we know. Like we're not teaching you how to go out and file your own tax return because you're better off spending your time flipping property or buying rental property or earning commission income or you know starting online businesses so we don't we want to teach you just enough to be dangerous let's just put it that yeah way. Okay. I, I, we have a philosophy here it's like collaborate and team up you got to hire professionals you can't do everything yourself so we're big on that you got to build a team build a team of trusted advisors absolutely I, I can't can't really you know say any more than that it's so incredibly important it's a big part of my wealth management model for myself 
uh, that I surround myself with like-minded individuals and educated professionals. So, uh, and I try to, and I stay in my lane. I stay in my tax preparation lane, my internal revenue code, my state state revenue code lanes. For legal, I have great legal advisors for wealth management. I got great wealth managers, uh, but I stay in my lane because that's what I'm a professional in. So um, a lot of people might also be thinking, well, I already have a trust set up. Do I really need the LLC? Or I have a $5 million umbrella insurance policy. I don't need an LLC. I don't need a trust. Well, just understand that when you kick down each one of these doors, it's going to lead you into a completely separate room with a completely separate benefit. I can't really think of another analogy here. But when you open up these doors, you'll slowly start to understand that an insurance policy does not provide you the same benefit as an LLC. An LLC does not provide you the same kind of asset protection that a trust does. A trust does not have a payout settlement value like an insurance policy does. So how would you structure your business as you grow your wealth, as you obtain more assets? What's the proper way to structure everything? Insurance is by far the most important thing for you to have. Insurance is there and in place to pay out settlements in case an unforeseen event happens, right? We get sick, we have health insurance to fix our bodies. We have car insurance in case we're in a car accident. We have malpractice insurance in case we're ever sued uh, in, in court for on, the, on a business level. So insurance is by far the most important thing for us to have. Insurance has an actual value payout at the end of the day, or at least we hope it does, right? Uh, but it does not separate your business and your personal assets. An LLC or an entity structure like an S-Corp or a C-Corporation allows for asset separation. So the more you have your assets separated into different entities, diversifying kind of your portfolio into other entities, the better asset separation, better asset protection you're achieving. But an LLC does not have a payout value like an insurance policy does. So two completely separate benefits. The living trust or an irrevocable trust or a revocable trust, limited family partnership trusts, they really only kick in as a benefit once this major life event happens, right? There's something major has to happen in your life in order for you to get a benefit from a trust. Unfortunately, 99.999% of the time, that life event is death, right? The trust is not meant to give you a benefit while you're alive. It's meant to create benefit for your beneficiaries. It's meant to, to kind of smoothly transition or transfer assets to your next of kin free from being seized in probate court. So the proper structure here as you build your wealth is to have the insurance policy on the assets that are held within the LLC or the entity structure. And then the entity structure is not owned by you personally. The entity structure is owned by your living trust. And that way, if you're ever sued and insurance kicks in, pays out the value, great. If insurance says go pound sand, we're not going to cover the liability. At least you have the entity structure that separates the liability from everything you own personally, right? Your primary residence, your retirement accounts, your inheritance on the personal side. So asset separation. And heaven forbid anything happens to you and you pass away, now all of a sudden the trust kicks in and protects all of your assets and transition those assets to your beneficiaries and california can't get their sticky fingers on your assets that you've worked your whole life to obtain and your the wealth that you've achieved over your lifetime and hold those assets in probate court uh, not everybody needs this structure right out the gate, right? I mean, first and foremost, insurance, but not everybody needs the entity structure. Not everybody needs the trust. Trust is more for legacy protection. LLC is most mostly for, for you know, uh, real-time protection, right? To separate business and personal liabilities and risk levels. Um, but this is a great conversation, once again, to have. You're not going to learn all of this just in a short, you know, five-minute spiel on a webinar or a podcast. You got to open up this conversation with your tax advisor and maybe even a legal advisor uh, because an attorney is going to talk to you about the legal benefit of an LLC and a trust, uh, whereas a tax advisor is going to tell you how it all works income tax wise. But that's the gist of the three doors there. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
Absolutely. I think that that's actually the last slide I have here for the, for the topics today. Uh, I'm okay. sure that there will be a lot of questions for the topics that we covered, but um, you know, we did cover a lot in a sh very short period of time. So, and I tend to, to speak really quickly because I'm passionate about what I speak on. Uh, but once again, we do offer free consultations. If there is something that you need more detail on, sign up for the free consultation, get on the phone with one of our senior advisors and walk through your specific scenario. Just because your neighbor, your coworker, your family member incorporated themselves or has a trust, understand that they did it for their reasons, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll receive the same benefit as they, as they received, because your tax scenario, your financial situation is completely different than theirs. Sure, you might be married, have a couple kids, own a home, but there could be a number of things that could skew the advice on one end versus the other. So put a plan together for your specific scenario and don't just copy and paste other people's scenarios. That's that's the wrong way to approach all of this. Thank you. And, and could you tell us again how we can get in touch with you and your company? Sure, our, our direct line here at the office is 818 242-4888. Uh, you can email Tony Watson at roberthalltaxes.com. Uh, you can go to our website and fill out the free consultation form at roberthalltaxes.com. Uh, or you can text the number 72,000. I'm sorry, you can text the words Robert Hall to the number 72,000, 72,000. And it'll automatically respond with a prompt to sign up for the free consultation. Thank you, Tony. Uh, it, we are we've been here for about a little over 45 minutes. And the way I know something is good is when I don't when I lose track of time. So I lost track of time and I'm like, man, this is good information. And uh, I really appreciate you for doing this. Thank you for coming on. I'm glad that things worked out the way they worked out and look forward to talking to you again in the future and getting some of our members, some of our guests signed up and to get their legal stuff in place. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jerome. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Thank you.